Good morning. Praise God. So today we celebrate the solemnity of Christ, the King of the universe. This is, again, the last Sunday before we begin a whole new year um, for the glory of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise God. So God wants us to live for his glory, to live for him and him alone. So as we come to an end of year, it's always good to kind of review our life and to reflect upon how have we glorified the Lord, how have we glorified ourselves, you know, where are we at in this journey? You know, often, again, without faith, you're only going to seek your own glory. That's an important truth, right? Without faith in God, you're going to only seek people to always give you affection, attention, glory, praise. We're always seeking that, fame, recognition. Because if we have the Lord seated in our hearts on the throne of our heart, then we have everything we need. And rather than seeking praise, we give praise to him. And so God wants us to be a people that gives him praise, gives him glory, gives him adoration, honor, worship. And that's why, you know, I love, you know, when we sing, it's good to not just sing one verse of a hymn when you come into church because you got to exercise your souls. It's like spiritual exercise. So when we're singing, open your hearts. I don't care, I don't care if you sound like frogs. God gave you a frog voice, give it back to him. All right? Whatever's going on, praise him. If we don't praise him, he says, the rocks will cry out. You know, and if you think about that scripture, if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Cry out. Think of all the weeping statues or images of our Lord that have bled or have weeped. These aren't things that should be emitting human tears or human blood. But they are because the Lord's saying, if you don't praise me, I'll even make statues praise me. I'll make rocks praise me. I'll make all of creation praise me. So we're here this morning to situate ourselves in a spirit of gratitude and praise and thanks to the King of the universe, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so I'd like you to think about this. We're designed for a king. Anthropologically, meaning just the study of man itself, we are designed to be led and guided. A teacher guides a classroom. A parent, mom or dad, lead their children. A coach leads his team. President leads the nation. A priest or bishop or the pope leading the church. We're designed to be led and guided. We have this desire in us for a king. What kind of king do you want? What kind of king do you want? What is your deepest desire? Do not be satisfied with mediocrity. Do not be satisfied with merely a human king, an earthly king. We're called to seek a heavenly king. And I think it's interesting that we're ending this uh, uh, church here. So we just finished this election up. And if you think about all of the struggles and, and division in our country. You know why there's a lot of division in our country? Because the desire for a king is there, but that king is not of this world. That king is of heaven. Our father who art on earth, is that what we say? Our father who art in heaven. I see this when I prepare couples for marriage and when I do marriage counseling. 
The husband expects his wife to be someone she can't. That's why they're fighting. And the wife expects her husband to be someone he can't. That's why they're fighting. We expect a president to be someone who he or she can't always be. We expect a coach to be someone, you know, look at, look at some of the Nebraska coaches. God, God, help, God help them, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Why can't? And you know what we're doing? We're looking for a king. We're looking for someone to lead us and guide us to victory. Who wants to lose? I don't. Did Jesus lose? Or did he win? If Hollywood made this story, Jesus would have jumped off the cross with an M16. <laughs> and he would have took out everybody and threw a grenade and maybe blew up the, the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees or whatever. That's how Hollywood would present our king. That's not the king that came into the world. That king is not God's vision of king. Our Lord is a king. What does is, what is your heart want? Who do you seek? Who do you desire to be a king? Listen, the desire in your heart to have a king is a good thing. But man can't save you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your coach, your teacher, your priest. You, I, I can't save. You can't save. We can't save. So we have one of two choices. We beat each other up because we're not living up to the expectation that my heart wants you to live up to, or we all fall down on our knees and humbly realize there's one God. There's one God. It's not Father Michael. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. And, and by the way, when you expect your wife or your husband, or for that matter, anyone to be someone more than they can be, that's called idolatry. We got to repent of making ourselves and others idols because Christ came into the world to wage war against sin. The ultimate sin is you shall have no other gods besides me. That's the first uh, commandment. So who's the king of your tongue? This muscle does damage, doesn't it? This thing can do a lot of good or a lot of damage, doesn't it? Who's the king of your tongue? Who's the king of your entertainment and time and leisure? Who's the king when you're watching television? Who's the king when you're listening to music? Not Elvis, right? Who's the king of your imagination? Who's the king of your emotions? Think about these things. You know, we come into church, right? And we, again, you know, we bow down, we worship Jesus, our Lord and King. Then as soon as we leave the doors, it's like, now it's my kingdom. We get behind the driving steering wheel and we want to kill the person in front of us out of the church parking lot. <laughs> Who's the king in that moment? It's not Jesus. That ain't Jesus' kingship. The kingship of Christ Will you let the Lord rule through your hearts, through your mind, through your ears? Who's the king of what you hear and don't hear? Who's the king of your thoughts, your words, your actions, your deeds? Who's the king of your checkbook? Who's the king? Who's the king for you? Think about it. Reflect. Think about how you allow Christ to be your king, our king, or not. 
Because when I die, God's not going to ask me, hey, how did your coach do? Or how did your wife or your husband do? Or how did your kids do? Or how did, you know, how did your president do? Or how did this or that person do? He's going to say, Michael, he's going to call me by name. He created me. I'm responsible to one person, that Jesus Christ is the one I'm responsible to. Because ultimately, when all the dust settles, nobody's going to be with me on judgment day but me and our Lord, the just king. And he's going to ask me, how did you serve me with your tongue? How did you serve me with your ears? How did you serve me with your hands? How did you serve me with your feet? How did you love me with your emotions, your memory, your imagination, your checkbook, your time, your talent, your treasure? How did you love me? Lord, where did I see you hungry or poor or naked or a stranger? And what is he going to say? What you did to the least of your brothers and sisters, you did unto me. It's easy to love a stranger, isn't it, pretty much, compared to loving sometimes someone right under your own roof. It's hard sometimes to love members of your family, isn't it? It's hard to love people right close to us. Our husband, our wife, our kids, aunt, uncle, cousin, mother-in-law, father-in-law, you name it. It's really not easy to always love those people. But God's calling us today, listen, let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Do you believe God is enough for you? I mean, we say that all the time, God is God, Jesus is Lord. But do we, in our hearts, do we really live under his lordship? And that means we're going to have to die to those times when our tongue wants to say something we shouldn't say, or there's times where we want to act in ways we shouldn't act, or think in ways we shouldn't think. In my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, right? So let's go rejoicing, as it says in our psalm, let's go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Now listen, the first reading was on David, so David... Jesus is the new David. What did David do? The people wanted a king. Did you know God didn't really want his people to have a king in a sense of an earthly king? Because he knew the danger would be that they would try to always make someone human a king. And he's like, let me be your Lord and king. Let me be the Lord of your life and king of kings of your life. And so they, obviously David was one of those kings of Israel, right? Now, David, obviously far from perfect, but he was a great man as well. He wasn't just, you know, he, he was a holy guy, fell on his face a bunch, but he got back up. David killed Goliath. The, the king, Jesus came into the world to slay the giant in your life. Who's the Goliath in your life? What is your vices? What are those things you struggle with? What's your addiction? You fill in the blank. What do you substitute God with? Food, drink. What do you use to substitute drug? Pornography. What do, you, what do you put in that space? How do you struggle? Your mouth, gossiping. What, what do you struggle? Greed, pride, anger, envy, lust, gluttony, greed. You know, the seven capital deadly sins. Jesus came to slay the Goliath. He's the new David. He's the new David. He fulfills the kingdom. He's the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. He's the fulfillment of the entire law and the prophets. He's the fulfillment of our hearts. And so the people wanted a king. 
And then they chose, obviously, David, who was up and down, but he was a, he's a great man of God. And then listen to our book from Colossians, it says. It says here, let us give thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the holy ones of light. The holy ones of light. Listen. He's saying to us here that we are called. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. In him, he holds all things together. He's head of his body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. In him, all things, all things he might be preeminent, preeminent. Through him, <clears throat> listen, through him, reconciling all things to himself. So he's reconciling all things to himself. So it all starts right here, right? In this kingdom, this is the kingdom God wants to dwell in. He wants to live in me, in us, and through us out in the world. Now, the key to this, listen, is that we must become like children. I was in the school, uh, I'm in there every week, but I was over there in the school, and I always lead the kids in some prayer and meditation and using their imagination and faith and really experiencing Jesus for real. And I go into the kindergarten class, and you know what I'm saying? Close your eyes, you know, I lead them close their eyes. And I said, imagine now Jesus the King in front of you. And I want you to put your hand on his heart. And I might have shared this before, but every one of the kindergartners goes like this. They all reach out with their eyes closed because they really believe that God is there. Now, a part of us, a part of us right now might be like, oh, that's cute. That's a nice little exercise for the little kids. Yes, it is, but it's not just cute. It's for real. And God in faith, and in the spirit, he can actually touch your hearts. He can touch your emotion. So when you're feeling upset and angry and frustrated, do you call on the king or do you think you have to get your emotions together? Do you call on the Lord or do you try to do it yourself? And this is why we get so anxious and stressed out and bent out of shape is because we're trying to rule over this kingdom that is unruly at times, isn't it? This kingdom is unruly, and only one king can quiet this kingdom and put to death the seven capital sins and rule over my mind, my body, and my spirit. It's Jesus. So at today at communion time, I would like you guys to try this. At communion, what I'd like you to try to do, just close your eyes when you go back to your pew or do the best you can. You know, just be still. And as the songs are being sung, if you want to sing, fine. If you want to sit quietly, fine. But this is what I'd like you to do. Close your eyes and imagine Jesus in front of you. Pretend you're a kindergartner, all right? Maybe that'll help you. Be, be a child. Close your eyes. You've just received the king of glory into your body, into your mind, into your soul. And I want you to ask Jesus to put his hands on your heart. But you must be like children to do this. If you don't allow yourselves to be childlike, you will never experience God's kingdom. So let the king put his hands on your heart and say, Jesus, fill this kingdom, your kingdom, 
namely my body and soul. Fill this kingdom with glory, with light, with truth, with healing, whatever's coming to your mind. Quiet this kingdom who's anxious right now. Give hope to this kingdom where there's depression or discouragement. Ask the king who created his kingdom, who created us each, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. And so ask Jesus at communion, put his hands on your heart, be childlike, please try it. Be childlike, don't think too much, your mind will get in the way. Just experience the hands of the king on your heart, quieting, healing, pouring his peace and presence into the kingdom. And that is important, see, that's important. This king doesn't rule like earthly kings. He rules over this kingdom with mercy, love, and compassion. Okay? And do you think that you're not important to God? I think sometimes, you know, we live in a state where we're all got a social security number. That's not how God sees you as a social security number. You're not just a number in one of many of billions of God's children. He really delights and cares about what you are going through right now, what you're experiencing in your kingdom, in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, your emotions, your body. He's very aware of what you're experiencing. But will you let the king come into your kingdom? You have to agree. He's not going to force himself to touch your heart. We have to ask him with a child's heart, like the kindergartner. And we have to let Jesus touch us. And it's real. Grace will flow into you. And you'll begin to experience heaven and peace and joy. And you wake up different. And you think different. And you handle marriage struggles different. You handle work issues different. You handle the people at work different because you've allowed your king to take his residence up in you. You no longer are kingless, fatherless, but you are fathered. You are given the king. And the king is delighted to be your king, to serve you, to love you, to wash your feet. Remember Peter's like, get out. Lord, you can't wash my feet. Jesus is like, I'm coming close to you. I'm going to come uncomfortably close to you. How many of you at times, you know, when someone gets close to you and looking into your eyes, it's hard to let someone look into your eyes sometimes because you know why? We have a lot of self-hatred in us. We have a lot of fear in us. Jesus the King will look right into your eyes and he'll quiet that fear. But I invite you again after communion, Invite your king, invite our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, to look into your eyes, put his hands on your heart, and to fill you up with his presence. And when you leave church, be aware. There is an enemy of the kingdom, the devil. He does not like this, okay? So when you get in your car, the battle begins. Soon as you get in your car, soon as you get out of your pew, or even right now because I'm going a little long, huh? <laughs> the battle begins now. And so I want you again, let the king in. So as we continue mass, let's pray for these graces. Let's pray for these graces.